everyone, and welcome to the Tightwad Tech, episode 23, Desktop Distance Learning for December 2nd, 2010. This week we have two notable guests with us, Lisa Parisi and Brian Crosby, uh, both of which are um, award-winning educators uh, who are known for their creativity and their thinking outside the box. And uh, they'll be joining us a little later on and just uh, a little... Uh, Background information. Lisa Parisi, uh, is a, a fifth grade teacher, uh, in, uh, New Hyde Park, New York. And, uh, Brian Crosby is also a fifth grade teacher in Washoe County School District in Reno, Nevada. Uh, Lisa has taught for more than 25 years and, uh, Brian has taught for 30 years. So these are some, some, uh, people with some classroom cred, uh, here and they're, they're going to talk about some, uh, unique ways of using inexpensive, uh, desktop uh, distance learning. Distance learning is one of those things that uh, uh, tends to be thought of as an expensive thing. You have uh, a very expensive gear uh, that you use, and uh, I know that uh, in the recent past we've had uh, a very uh, expensive setup at our school. Um, you know, I, well, I say recent past, about ten years ago, but we had this ninety thousand dollar room with with a TV on a cart and another TV on a cart and a camera that that zoomed in all around it and a bunch of push button mics and it was a a big deal and we had to go through our regional service center through a a special connection. Everything had to be uh, 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 scheduled and planned and, and, um, and still today we have a much uh, simpler system, but it still has to go through uh, some organization that that uh, schedules it all out and calls us. And so we got to thinking about what is the tightwad way to do distance learning, and and it's really what we do uh, every week here on the show, or at least every week that we have a guest, we call somebody in on Skype and we uh, uh, we talk to them. And and so we went in search of people who are doing distance learning um, the tightwad way. And so those are the, our, our people who we've come up with and they'll be joining us a little later on. <clears throat> but first, we just wanted to uh, mention a couple of, uh, oh, I don't know, what's the word, um, interesting tidbits. Um, one, of yeah. the, one of the things Sean uh, wanted to talk about, he's the one who kind of does the uh, show prep for the most part, uh, contacts the guests and that sort of thing. And uh, today our guest, as I, as I mentioned, we have one in Reno, Nevada, one in, in uh, New York uh, State, and uh, we're in Texas. So we're covering three different time zones. And, uh, and then you add to that um, the, uh, the, the chat room. We've got surely somebody there in the fourth time zone. And so it's, right. this is, uh, we're recording this much later than we ordinarily do uh, because we had to accommodate that. So, Sean, just talk a little bit about the, the you know, the global nature of, of setting thing, that sort of stuff up. Well, yeah, it's, uh, this has been probably the most challenging one, uh, really because of the time zones. And, uh, you know, you're trying to, uh, one, you know, we've already, put in a full day's work today so you really don't want to have to do it super late you don't want to have to do it on the weekend because uh uh both uh mark and myself drive oh 30 miles or so uh to get to work so uh you're trying to avoid that so but at the same time uh with somebody on the pacific time uh you can't get it especially a teacher you can't get it too early because uh you know obviously they're going to be in class or uh, busy doing something so uh so 
your earliest start time is really going to be somewhere around four Pacific. And, uh, that's, uh, six o'clock for us and, uh, uh, seven for Lisa. So, uh, they're on in New York. So we were back and forth. And then of course there's always, well, this day is not good for me and that day is not good, which is pretty typical, uh, when you're lining up a guest. So, uh, it was just really challenging, uh, uh, but it's, you know, managed to all work out. Uh, and I will say if ever you, uh, anybody out there is trying to line up, uh, uh, guests that are teachers, they are just really tough to, to nail down <laughs> is about the best thing I can say. <laughs> uh, you know, t- at this time of year, teachers are going to be busy. Well, they all work a full day just like we do. And at the, you know, if they have children, they have to go home and, and, uh, uh deal with that. So, uh, we really appreciate Brian and Lisa, uh, taking their time out to join us. Uh, and, uh, um, that's really all we had to say about that. This was this is the first time that's come up. Uh, the first time we've had uh, uh, guests from uh, from such different time zones. We've talked to people uh, in a different time zone, but uh, uh, this time with with two different guests. And that's part of what makes their story interesting is they are three hours apart. And uh, so uh, I want to ask them about that when they come on. What's uh, uh, what's that like trying to teach a class together uh, through three time zones? Right. And, you know, uh, well, uh, two plus two, you know, one of the poker, uh, podcasts that I listen to, uh, they, uh, they oftentimes are interviewing somebody that's in somewhere in Europe or anywhere around the world. And, uh, so I, I kind of cringe at the thought of that, you know, what, what happens when we, uh, talk to somebody in Australia or, uh, or England? We certainly have listeners in those areas and, uh, would love to have them on, but, uh, somebody's going to be sacrificing in that scenario. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be us or the listener, uh, the guest, but, uh, uh, I look forward to it. You know, those are good problems to have. You know, someday when we're a media empire, people will come to us and we'll say we're recording at 3 p.m. Eastern t- or Central Time and you will be there or you will not be on our show um, someday. Um, right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in that uh, 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 vein, uh, we are uh, um, working toward expanding our empire a little bit uh and it's we've taken the first uh few small steps to that but we want to add some uh some different podcasts and some different uh um angles to our our to what we do here so our uh track for world domination uh is uh is in the works yeah and uh <laughs> there we go the tightwad empire and uh uh Go ahead and expand on that. Uh, you know, we're already working on the next steps, right? We're laying the foundation for this. Uh, yeah, we, some, some time ago, um, as a joke, I, uh, registered the domain name Element OP. Think about that. L-M-N-O-P. And you get some kid singing that, and we all did the A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, Element OP. Right. And I thought, you know, that sounds like Element OP. And I thought, you know, OP Taylor from the, um, Andy Griffith uh, from show. the Andy Griffith show back yeah. in the fifties and sixties. And so my, my plan is, uh, to call the parent company of the Tightwad Tech Element OP Productions. And, uh, so we're working on a, a logo there with, you know, a little, uh, redheaded boy with big ears. And, uh, so we'll be, uh, um, Element OP Productions brings you, uh, the Tightwad Tech. I, it'll be interesting, uh, but it's just a cool name that I've, I squatted on the domain some time ago just because I thought it was funny. Uh, even came up with a little graphic <clears throat> with it, which is, uh, 
the periodic table of elements and, and where oxygen would be, the O is a picture of OP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and you know, uh, I mean, th- there's a good, very good reason for that too, right? I mean, uh, let's say, uh, if you, if you decide to build a podcast network, uh, similar to like, uh, oh, what, uh, Leo Laporte has built, uh, you know, you, you want that, that parent company name and, uh, uh, the Tightwad Tech, while we love that name, is a little bit too specific, uh, if you're going to encompass, uh, several different shows. So, uh, Mark had that and, uh, it just seemed to work out perfectly. So, uh, Element OP Productions, <laughs> something like that. Look for it in the future. All right, we have Lisa and Brian with us now, and uh, uh, I'm going to ask them to uh, do a more full introduction of what I first did, and then we'll just start uh, ladies first. Lisa, tell us a little bit about uh, your experience, uh, first in education, and then secondly in the uh, uh, this realm of what we're calling desktop distance learning, the, uh, the uh, uh, cheap version of, of video <laughs> conferencing. Okay, well, I am a classroom teacher, uh, fifth grade, and I work, I teach on Long Island in New York, USA. Um, I sort of do everything. I am a member of the Discovery Educator Network, um, Leadership Council, and I blog for the Discovery Education New York site. And I'm an ambassador for FableVision and Vokey and, um, Glogster and I, um, I do, I co-host a, a talk show on EdTech Talk every Sunday called Conversations, 1130 Eastern Sunday morning, um, where we just talk about different topics. And so how did I get into this? I love anything free. I've been doing free for over 25 years. I've been teaching forever and, um, you know, before the internet came out, I was doing free by walking into stores and saying, please, I'm a lowly teacher. Can you give me anything? And I used to get carpet squares and books that people were throwing out and, and I would take everything and anything. And so, you know, I just have blended right into web, free web 2.0 technology very nicely. I, work very hard not to pay for anything well you'll fit right in here with the taiwan tech mentality absolutely all right brian you're up uh tell us a little bit about yourself oh well um been teaching for what i guess this is my 30th year um always uh well not always elementary i taught a couple of years uh eighth grade in catholic schools in california but started out in southern oregon taught in california for a while now i'm in uh, reno nevada um, in a large school district, 65,000 students. Um, um, I teach in the only um, model technology classroom uh, in our entire school district, um, kind of by default. So um, I started out with, um, at the time, six-year-old um, key lime green um, iBook laptops from the year they first came out with um, airports. And um, my school bought a set, um, and then when they got new Dells, um, nobody wanted to use the Macs, and the batteries were shot. So I talked my principal into buying new batteries, and, and uh, so for $3,000, we went one-to-one. And um, um, kind of the rest is history. Now, like Lisa says, everything's Web 2.0. You know, we Skype around. We uh, all my students have blogs like Lisa's do. 
which is one of the ways we got uh, working together originally and um, just do a lot of Web 2.0 stuff. And not just to do the Web 2.0 stuff, and I know Lisa will say the same thing. It's the pedagogy is so important, such powerful stuff. That's, you know, where, um, you know, we're all coming from. It's, um, if it's done right, it's, it's, it's amazing stuff, the connections that are made and, and et cetera. And my students are extremely at risk. Uh, 90, well, we're close to 100% free lunch and 90% uh, of my students are second language learners. Um, so it's a really um, interesting experience having kids like that be the model classroom for your school district. It uh, leads to interesting things. All right. Well, that's a great lead into uh, the the first question I wanted to ask you is is how did you two get together? I know that uh, uh, Sean contacted Lisa. Is that right? And then Lisa yes, said, right. "Hey, I I know this guy Brian." And uh, and <clears throat> so clearly, you, clearly you two had a past relationship. Um, how did that happen? How did you find each other? And and what was the first thing you worked on together? And and what have you done since? Well, Brian, I'll take over on this one. Right. Um, very funny. We're both in Class Blogmeister, which is David Warlick's blog, free blog site for educators. And he has um, a really good way of, of making connections and collaborating when um, you're in the blog site. And Brian had sort of found my students and they were commenting and my kids were commenting back to his. And we didn't know each other at all, just that we both were teaching fifth grade. And I had gotten a comment from one of his students that I wouldn't post because it just wasn't appropriate. It wasn't a nice comment. And so I found Brian and emailed him and said, you know, I just want you to know what, you know, what I'm getting. And, and these are some other comments I'm getting, you know, that you might want to talk to this child about. It wasn't even that it was, it was, um, in a, like inappropriate. It was that he was commenting to tell somebody to fix their blog. And, and so I wanted Brian to know that you might want to talk to this child. And then Brian sent me back some comments that my students were making. And it turned into this, um, conversation we were having about what our students were blogging and how can we get them to improve commenting. Um, then we decided to do a project together and we did a Harris Burdick project. Harris Burdick is a book written by Chris Van Allsburg where each page is a picture, a title, and one line. And that's the whole story. And the children each were assigned a page and a group, and they had to collaboratively through Google Docs and Skype connect with each other and write a page, write the story that goes with the title, the page, and the picture. We actually got um, 14 classes involved in that. It wasn't just my class and Brian's class, but we got... Um, uh, 12 other classes involved and won an award for that, an ISTE SIGTEL Online Learning Award for it. And since then, Brian and I have actually written a book about blogging in the middle grades. We did the whole book through Skype and Google Docs. We wrote the whole book on Google Docs. And it's now in the publishing process at ISTE. And we're hoping it'll be out by ISTE. <laughs> have you ISTE two ever met? Yes, we have. Okay. But actually, the first time we ever met was when we were winning the award for the Harris Burdick Writing Project. Yeah. And um, I would slightly disagree with Lisa. I think, <laughs> really, I think really in some ways our first project 
wasn't the Harris Burdick project. That was a big project and it was very involved. But along that time that we were, because I don't think we started that project until like probably March, late March. Right, right, right. And, um, and I think there along the way, probably starting in maybe December or January, um, we were involved in really small little projects like um, Seven Random Facts. I yes, think. yes. And a few of those little guys that um, are all built around um, having kids um, um, learn about safety on the Internet and, you know, how to do that kind of thing. And I, and I think really the, the point Lisa made about our students getting together through our blogs and then talking about what kinds of things they were saying in their blog is really that huge pedagogy piece, which she and I both, you know, kind of concluded at the same time was so important because mm-hmm. kids blog so often the comments they'll write or nice blog or I like to <laughs> talk or, right. you know, just really simplistic. And, or, and the- or when we tell them to, you know, look for something sp- Specific, they say things like, you really need to check your spelling. Yeah. Like, oh, no, no, no. That's not what you want to say. <laughs> That's not the comment you want to leave. Because the whole idea behind blogging is the motivational aspect. I mean, absolutely, you're working on the writing, um, everything about writing. But when kids are posting online, um, other people don't know that, hey, for that child, that's, it was an incredible piece. So don't go telling them it's not good. You know? <laughs> well, so you're, you're working in uh, some digital citizenship then as well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and, and really the, that whole um, environment in your classroom, just you want that to move out onto the web too. So the same kinds of behaviors you want to see in class, you want to see students having online, all the safety things. And you know, when you walk home, you don't talk to strangers. And when you're online, you're not dealing with people you don't know and that kind of thing. Right. Now, uh, you also uh, uh, have participated in, uh, I guess, several other uh, different projects. Can you go into a little bit of detail on uh, some of the other things that you're doing, uh, particularly uh, you know, with regards to uh, desktop distance learning, or what we're loosely calling it, but uh, Skyping and Google Docs, things like that? Brian, you want to start? Um, well, what should I talk about first? Um, <laughs> um, well, we've done a number of times. Um, we've shared lessons um, over Skype. Um, last year, my class was um, part of a really incredible project where we um, hooked up with the local university and um, um, managed to send up a uh, hydrogen balloon up uh, over a Thousand feet. Yeah, I uh, saw the video on that. That was a really interesting uh, yeah. video. I, I uh, and honestly, you can uh, you can Google Brian Crosby teacher, and you're going to find these things as well as uh, Brian speaking at uh, was that ISTE last year? Uh, yeah. Well, it was at ISTE. It was a TED talk. Uh, oh, that's right, TEDx. Uh, so you can, uh, you can see, uh, see those videos. Uh, and I will warn anybody that Googles Brian Crosby. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but there's another famous Brian Crosby teacher Definitely. as well. Um, yeah, the guy that wrote a book, the $100,000 teacher or something. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> he's contacted me before. And then there's another guy. He's does he want you to change your name? <laughs> but there's some young guy that does, makes a lot of online videos and, same name so um 
Well, when when uh, Lisa first pointed us in your direction, we thought it was that guy, and we thought, you know, we actually started reading up on his book, thinking, "Wow, this is going to be pretty cool." And then we we were sorry, disappointed. Sorry, it's you know, just it's, this it's Brian. Not, well, and we and really that was just it, because uh, then we first fe- when we first found out we we were we were a little disappointed. We we're like, "Oh, okay, it's not this guy." And then I found our Brian Crosby stuff out there. And see, you're our Brian Crosby. Now. Right. See, see how that happened? You just became our Brian Crosby. Right. <laughs> you like how I did that? So yeah. the thing we did is my students, to get ready for that balloon project, had done some little video clips uh, in the classroom uh, burning this special tissue paper that as it burns down, it lifts off to show kids hot air rising. We crush some cans with air pressure. Well, Lisa's class saw... Because we posted those videos on her blog, her class saw them. They said, oh, wow, we got to do that. She didn't know how to do it. So we just Skyped them in and did the lesson live here over Skype. And then Alana King in New Zealand, she said, hey, Mike, you know, because we blog with them. And and so um, it's incredible, the time zone thing. So when we're on daylight savings time, if I if I Skype Alana in New Zealand at two o'clock, it's nine o'clock the next morning for her. So we were able to do that for her also, and then all the kids blog about it and ask questions, and so it's it's great stuff. I should probably back up. You know, the way I got into distance learning is um, um, probably the way most people know about me at all. Um, I. Uh, had learned about Skype some, and I had done some um, just um, um, audio Skypes. And um, one day I got called down to the office right before school starts. And at a school like this, when that happens, you know you're getting a new student. And um, and I wasn't supposed to get the next student because I had three or four more kids than the other fourth grades. And so I get down there, and they say, hey, you're getting a new student, but, um, you know, don't worry about it because you're probably never going to see her. What? Well, she has leukemia and she's undergoing chemotherapy and so um, she can't come to school because her immune system's shot. Um, and so, but to get her home studies teacher, she's got to be enrolled in school and she just moved into this area and blah, blah, blah. And the first question out of my mouth, even though I'd never done it before, was, well, does she have a computer at home? So to make a long story short, we got some grant money and some people made some things happen and somebody donated her a computer and we just started Skyping her into class every day. And so she came to school over Skype, and it was just an absolutely incredible um, – I mean, it just worked so well. I mean, better than you even thought it would. And uh, there's lots of video um, um, of that um, video that my kids made that's uh, a really incredible video about how you do that that um, um, has been downloaded between uh, half and, and a million times Um um, now and uh, and then Skype sent a film crew in and they filmed in the classroom and at her house and and whatever and got both sides of the conversation and um, uh, in that video there's two versions of that video up that uh, and I get contacted fairly often at least several times a month about people that want to do that and want to know the legalities or what we did or people that are doing that and saying hey we're doing that now too and 
and um, and so that was an incredible experience. Brian, but, can you talk a little bit about what uh, that experience was like for your students, and and more more importantly for that student who was at home? Uh, you know, when you're when you're going through chemotherapy, when you're dealing with leukemia, you're already the odd man out in everything, mm-hmm. and and you gave that student a chance to be normal at least a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about the impact that 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 had on the student and and in on your class as a whole? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, and I have to be careful because, you know, because of confidentiality, I can't say too much, but, but, um, she was also a child of pretty deep poverty and, um, was in a kind of dicey home situation. And, um, uh, and so we got that going and she was able to come in. And, um, like I said, I've got a, a, an active board in my room. So, we um, used a laptop to do this, and we just made the laptop be the fourth person in her group. So she was just a member. I have tables in my room instead of instead of individual desks, and so she was just the fourth member of the group right in front of the class. And we, um, if you watch the video we made, the kids even explained that we uh, took an eyeball camera and taped it to the top of a tripod, and that was her. And then. Um, the laptop would be pointed up at me if I was teaching a lesson, so, and her head would show up on the screen about the same size as the other students' heads in the class. So it was really kind of an odd kind of thing that you just almost feel like she was there. And then if we were going to do a group thing, the kids would just turn that tripod around and, and turn the laptop around, and she was just sitting there in the group. And, and if they had to divvy up jobs to do on something to do it or have a discussion she was just part of that and then when it was time to get back together as a class things just got turned around again and, and there she was and she could raise her hand and you could see it and um and then we we did a lot of her work over her blog at that time um i didn't have google docs going so she would i had a an email account set up first so she just email her written work in um she was working in apple works at the time and she just send it in as a um as a file and then her little sister was going to school here, so I could send books to her back and forth. And then the really great thing was I roll a class. So I get a class in fourth grade, and I keep them for three years. So at the end of fourth grade, she was able to come back to class, which was a really neat story I won't go into now. And then I had her for all of fifth grade. So we got And, to- and that's actually when we met you, yeah. and we were scared. All my children wanted to know when we first Skyped with you was, is she in the room? Where is she? Where is Celeste? Is she there? And they were so excited to see her. So she yeah. got transformed from a uh, being the odd odd one out to being a celebrity. Oh man, I mean, kids would hang out and talk to her at recess. Can we stay in and talk to Celeste? And she'd have to take a break and get a blood draw done. Or some days <laughs> the chemo would wipe her out, and she'd just say, "You know, I can't do it anymore." And she'd be gone. Sometimes she'd come back on. Um, you know, sometimes she'd be gone for weeks because she'd get really sick and, and have other issues. But then she was able to come back. And what was cool is they surprised me. They didn't tell me she was coming. And my uh, counselor and mom and Celeste walked in the door one morning about 45 minutes before school. And she wasn't all masked up like she was a couple other times when she visited briefly. And, and she, they said, Hey, she's back. She's gotten the go ahead. And so, we just moved her laptop out of the way and I handed it to one of the Apple laptops and, and her biggest turnaround was having to learn to use a trackpad instead of a, uh, a mouse. But other than that, she knew everything we did. I mean, she'd been here every day. So it was, 
that way too, it was an incredible experience. She just just was here instead of there. <laughs> well, uh, I do want to mention to our listeners, uh, and I, you covered that that portion of uh, some of the things you do, uh, but that particular one in your uh, TEDx uh, presentation. Uh, but uh, I also, Brian, uh, you, you've said there's other video of that. If you can send us the links to that, we'd be, uh, one, I'd just love to watch those videos, and two, uh, we'll yeah, go ahead and post them on the site. Our class wiki page is Crosby class.wikispaces.com and all the video stuff is at the bottom all our um, all kinds all the projects I've done with Lisa and everything is listed at the bottom of that so it's Crosby class.wikispaces.com dot wikispaces got it all right uh, Brian and Lisa this is a question to both of you uh, describe what kind of uh, of what does your classroom look like? Is it a, a technology-rich environment, or uh, Brian? You mentioned your schools are uh, uh, your students are very poor. Your your district is very poor, and that you're dealing with. I hope you're still not dealing with those old green uh, IMAX. Uh, but uh, what uh, what does it look like? What kind of access do your kids have to uh, technology every day? Lisa, did you want to take that one first? Okay. Um, well, I I come from the opposite end of the spectrum than Brian does. Um, so I'm in a very um, a rich technology area. Uh, I have every classroom has a smart board. We have um, two, I'm supposed to have four, but I had to give two of them up. So I have two computer desktop computers in my room. And we also have access to there are four rolling carts in the building, two of netbooks and two of laptops. The one rolling cart of laptops is fairly old and nobody really likes to use them. So we park them right outside the classroom and basically they're ours. Um, there are very few other teachers that use them. So we have them all day. I also have a full computer lab across the hall from me that I can have access to. So we have access um, but, it, you know, it's an interesting question that you ask. Does it look like a technology class? And the reality is this is a, an elementary classroom. And, um, I, you know, I used to tout myself as the technology teacher. Um, and I was known as, you know, oh, that, you know, if anyone who came into the room, that's what we were going to be doing was technology. And really what we do, and Brian mentioned this early on, this is pedagogy. You know, we, we, learn curriculum. And do we use technology to do that? Absolutely. Uh, just like when I was growing up, you know, we used um, pencil and, and notebooks to do it. Now the kids use technology to do it. But really what they're doing is learning and they just have the ability to learn so much easier. And, and I have the ability to reach every child in the class through the technology. Um, I run a UDL classroom and I have an inclusion classroom. So I'm very, very conscious of making sure that I'm reaching every student in my class and giving every student in my class access to the content. One of our previous guests made that point one day when he said uh, he looks forward to the day when they stop calling it technology integration and just start calling it teaching. Right. And it yep. is. And that's uh, when I do, you know, I used to spend a lot of time at Meet the Teacher Night talking about all the technology we use. And now I barely mention it. I do show the website and I tell the parents how to connect with us collaboratively, you know, how to connect with us through email. 
um, and I show the website. And that's it. The rest of it is, you know, here's what we're learning in social studies and here's what we're learning in math and here's what we're learning in science because that's what we do. We, you know, we're, we're in elementary school and we learn fifth grade material. And in my classroom, um, when we first started one-to-one -one and we had those um, Key Lime Green Max um, iBooks, um, I got a, a, my classroom with that year just by default got established as the model technology classroom. And so they, they had a grant and they put a Promethean Active Board in my room. And so I had the one-to-one -one laptops, um, you know, old laptops, um, the Promethean Board, um, at my school, they, they got every classroom one digital camera. Um, when we got the laptops originally, the grant that we got that with, I bought a video camera, obviously because one of the reasons we got it was, you know, iMovie and that kind of deal. And um, so we had, what, two video cameras and, and um, um, every, like I said, every classroom has a digital camera, which is great because then if you're going on a field trip, you can go around and borrow them so you can have one for each group in your class. And I'm trying to think what else we have. Um, you know, I've got a sound system to make it easier to hear and, and a few things. But if you walked in, you wouldn't normally, other than you might see the laptops out, um, if they're not buried under the kids' books, um, you know, you wouldn't come in and go, oh, I, but this is just a different room. Or, um, it pretty much looks like all the rest. It's um, um, not anything that uh, would blow you away or anything. Great stuff. Um, uh, and I'm going to kind of move on. And uh, Lisa, you had kind of touched on this and uh, uh, you have a, a recent uh, blog post out there. And uh, I'm not really going to go into the details so much of that, but I did want to touch on uh, a little bit of that in that uh, there's some challenges that are really facing today's teachers. And we certainly see it here in Texas as well in that uh, they're really being uh, pushed on not just what they're teaching, but exactly how they're teaching it, uh, you know, uh, right down to uh, exactly what you're going to be teaching and what you're going to be doing every single day and uh, I, I'm wondering uh, it, how that's affected each of you uh, if you're both seeing that and uh, how that affects being able to do this you know you're, you're two very creative teachers obviously uh, how has that change uh, affected you and just being able to do these types of things um, well I'm glad you only have seven viewers <laughs> and you and you know feel free to go only as deep as you want to uh but uh that that blog post was very difficult for me to decide to to publish well we I have about normally, 200 listeners so just you know by the way <laughs> i don't normally write blog posts like that i tend to write about my classroom and my projects and udl and and you know access for everybody um but I really am feeling a push. And, um, you know, one example of how Brian and I are both being affected is we are now in the middle of, or t really we're like towards the beginning of this fairly large energy project that I put together over the summer. And both of us are really struggling to be able to connect our students and find the time to do it. I'm having trouble because the only time Brian and I can Skype together is from two to three because that's when we're both in school and not at lunch. I'm not at lunch and he's actually there with his class. And um, that two to three time is my literacy block time and I'm only supposed to be doing reading or writing. I'm not supposed to be doing science. 
So I had to ask permission to be able to get together with Brian this week in order to Skype um, at that time. And Brian is only supposed to be doing science like 30 minutes a week. So he had to, you know, get permission to work around and show how he's doing all this literacy through this energy project because it's actually a pretty extensive project where the children are doing research and they're writing up experiments and they're talking with each other and connecting with each other and then they're performing the experiments. So there is so much learning going on and the fact that we have to justify that I think is is the very yeah. difficult part for me. Well, and, and I think not only that, but we're, Lisa and I are kind of pushing ourselves. I mean, we're fairly adept at this kind of stuff, but, you know, not like we're total experts or, I mean, I don't know how to say that, but some of the stuff you don't do it absolutely every day and you got to remind yourself how to do it or you're going to use it in a new way. But we're kind of pushing ourselves and that this project we're on is go going to end up involving our blogs and Google Docs and wikis and we're using Skype and, you know, and, and a lot of things. And we're not doing that just to use them and go, ooh, look at all these cool things we're using. We're doing it because they're such powerful communications tools. And I know um, Lisa mentioned before, and I and I meant to come back on that, how her kids are much more um, um, middle um, class and come from more um, educated backgrounds. And my kids tend to be second language learners and from poverty. And a lot of my kids' parents didn't even um, graduate elementary school. And so one of the great things when our class works together is that her kids' language skills really push my kids and my kids not real strong language skills. And all my kids, by the way, this year, they all speak English. But what you really find out about most of my students is they're not fluent in any language. Uh, most of them come from Hispanic backgrounds, but um, they don't speak Spanish fluently either. In fact, pretty weak. And so they're weak in two languages is what they really are. Um, a lot of them speak English without an accent. And so you think that, oh, these are English speaking kids but they've got extremely low um, vocabularies. They they hold a conversation with you fine, but as soon as you, you know, start getting in deep in something, they're, they're pretty lost. And so having to talk to Lisa's kids pushes them, but it also makes Lisa's kids have to figure out how they're going to communicate with my students, which, like in that Harris-Burdick project, led to some incredible exchanges. Mm -hmm. Um, benefited them both. I mean, it's one of the reasons it's such powerful stuff. And there's a ton of research that shows one of the things we could do that would help students out is if we integrated, you know, across socioeconomic because everybody does better. But politically, that's not going to happen. So this is about as close as you get to that. Um, and that's a real powerful hunk of this is um, um, just how um, um, you come, you're coming from different cultures and, and, and Lisa's really got a multicultural class because a lot of her kids come from Asia and, and, and other places. And I have a little of that, but most of my kids are, um, um, from Mexico, Central and, and South America and some Pacific Island and, um, some Asian and, and whatever. But, um, um, you know, uh, I was going to mention too, you know, one of the incredible things we do is if, um, I'm going to Skype Lisa say, We'll go on Google Earth about five minutes before, and you know you punch in the address to Lisa's school, and it comes right down on the roof. So we come down on the roof of our school, point out our classroom, 
takes us up into space. We come down on their classroom, and then you go back and forth and find out different things. Or if we're going to go to New Zealand, we do that to really build that um, that schema for the world. You know, I should. Uh, you mentioned my TED talk in Denver. One of the things I mentioned in that was at the beginning of last year, second day of school. I asked. I um, questioned my students. We did a survey, and what was it? Um, out of 25 kids, uh, six of them knew the city they lived in, and uh, three knew the name of the country, and, and I think not, half of them knew what state they lived in, and and um, I mean, really not geographically or aware of where they are, and that's a very, that's a thing of poverty. That's not unusual at all. Um, kids come from not really knowing where they are, and you know, they don't know if they live in California, that the city he lived in was, Pennsylvania, I mean, and never been out of the state. And so, you know, odd things like that. So when you can do things like that and kids see that and, um, you know, it's one of the things that makes this powerful is you end up pulling in geography when you're really working on a science project. And I actually have something to add to that. I am working right now on a, the pilot elementary flat classroom project. Um, the flat classroom project has been going on. Um, Julie, Lindsay, and Vicki um, Davis started it with high school students, and um, this year they're piloting it with elementary, and I'm one of the teachers involved. And this is a program, uh, it's, a, it's a project that children from around the world get together working groups and, and create a project. Um, and we're doing a week in the life, so we have like, what does it look like in school, and what does it look like wherever. So... My students, I'm in a Google app school, and so my students are really into Google Docs and, and using Google tools. And one of the things that we were discussing today, one of the classes is from Shanghai, China, um, for actually from Beijing, China. And we were talking about the fact that we will not be able to use Google Docs to work with them because Google Docs are blocked in China. And the children wanted to know why. And it turned into a whole discussion about our government because today we did presentations about our government. And so they did all the right things with the presentation, the Bill of Rights and what's what the parts of the Constitution, but they didn't really get it until we had this conversation about why Google Docs is blocked in China and why would China block anyone. And then one of the students started talking about how her grandmother's in China and tried seven times to get a visa to come visit her. And it took seven times for her to, it took six no's before she finally got a yes and was able to come to the United States but could only stay for three months and then she had to go back. Um, and and it really opened up the children's eyes to much more about our government when they saw what another government was like. And these are people we're working with. You know, these are children we're going to be connecting with. Just the, to the power of this is that those kinds of things come up when you're doing this kind of collaboration, yes. things that aren't even part of your project. I mean, it's just constant. They're constantly coming up. So it's, it's a, one of the powerful pieces of it. I just wanted to throw a question in there, uh, based on what you said, uh, just incidentally, uh, Vicki Davis is going to be a guest on one of our, uh, uh, upcoming, uh, podcasts. Uh, we, we've already, uh, got her, uh, scheduled to do that. But anyway, um, <clears throat> how much time have your two classes spent together? I, I, how many years have you been working together? Is, uh, what is the, um, 
you know, the sort of the scope of your time together? Well, Brian and I have probably known each other for three years. I think so. Four, four years, something Maybe. like that. Yeah. Three to four years. Um, and Brian and I spent an awful lot of time together writing this book. Yeah. Um, but we never, I think we actually did see each other once in the process of writing the book in yeah. live. We met at Educon and sat down for a little bit together. Um, yeah. but most of it was done online. Um, but our students, in fact, Brian was saying that today his students were expecting to Skype with us because we've been Skyping daily for the last just, few just days. Something we do, you know, it's, they and just, it's not whole class either. When we Skype, like we did this with Harris Burdick too. When we Skype, it's really, okay, this group, you're Skyping today. Um, Brian and I have been sort of team teaching. So yeah. like we're working on this energy group and uh, the energy project and there are different groups in it so each group you know the um solar energy group skyped one day and then the thermal energies group skyped another and we've just been team teaching them and getting information from them so that they're ready to work on their project and it's just you know like while we're in the middle of everything else this is what we're doing there's a computer off in the corner and we're yeah. Skyping that group and the rest of the kids just carry on with what they're doing. So do your kids feel like they're part of each other's class? I don't think yet. And I think it's also, you know, we worked on that Harris Burdick project and that year the kids probably for, I don't know, about a month, maybe five weeks, worked quite a bit with each other. And then they'll talk to each other on their blogs some. But there's also been spaces of time. I think there was one year that we only did things together, kind of some blog stuff and I think there was at least one year in there that we didn't really do anything big like this. Right. I mean, because, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily, I don't think we want to get inbred that way. You know, it's like she's always out looking for things to do and I'm always out looking for things to do. And in fact, this project we're working on now, there was originally, there was originally another teacher and we were doing it. Uh, um, we had three different things set up and, and that teacher had to drop out for the kind of reasons Lisa's talking about. And, and I, I didn't get into that, but I'm having lots of big issues on my end too. I mean, I don't want to say too much, but I, I'm almost, I, I think I wrote a note in the thing. It's almost like guerrilla teaching. You know, I've got to be on the lookout that I'm not going to get caught, you know, and, um, because at certain times of the day, I'm supposed to be doing certain things and, um, um, I know it's kind of bizarro world, but um, because it's hard for some people to see the power in a lot of this, which I know people shake their head. How come they couldn't see? Uh, I don't know. And I, what, what really bothers me, I have data to prove that this works. Like I have data. I have the inclusion class on the grade. So my students are more needy than the other fifth grade students on the on the grade level. So my students should do worse on standardized testing, should should end up worse at the end of the year. We do running records and we have Fountas and Pinnell leveling that we do and my kids should be worse. And yet my students do better. And I know it's because we spend an incredible amount of time reading and writing online because when you're working with other people, like we do podcasting, there is script writing in a podcast. You have to know who your audience is. You have to do research on the topic. Um, even when we're, when we're Skyping with Brian's class, the children don't want to look stupid. 
So they have to know something before they get on there. Like they'll actually tell me, wait, I need a few more minutes before we Skype with our group because I need to get this checked out. And, and those are, those things are invaluable and I have data to prove it. It's authentic work. And when you do authentic work, then the kids want to be ready. And right. see, I'm dying because uh, I I have data, but I can't make claims to it because I'm not able to do what Lisa's described. Nope, I think we lost Brian. I've had years oh, I've been able to do more of that, you know, but like this year, you know, what part of the way they did on the test was from what I'm doing, but... How much of it is because I'm having to follow a specific reading program. And right. so I can't make claims based on that. All right. Well, I just wanted to ask, uh, you know, we, we've, we've had a wide range, ranging discussion here. And I, again, I want to be respectful of your time. I appreciate you, uh, coming out and doing this. Uh, just in summary, if, if I'm a classroom teacher and I want to, uh, look into these novel ways of doing things, um, I'm going to ask you uh, each to give me one word of advice and one um, thing to watch out for. And uh, Lisa, we'll start with you. Uh, give me uh, each each one of those that that maybe our our guests can, our listeners can take away from that. Oh my gosh! Okay, one word of advice: take risks, be brave. I love Brian's name. Is you know his blog is learning is messy, and we use that term all the time too in the classroom. I mean, just. Don't feel like you have to be an expert in everything. The children will know so much more than you. So just be brave, bring it into the classroom, and they'll tell you how to use it. Um, and, and put yourself out there. Yeah. Um, and the, and a word of advice. I guess the, my biggest word of advice is, um, if you, if you go out, like one of my most valuable tools for connecting with people is Twitter. But one of the worst things people can do is put themselves out on Twitter and then not talk to anybody or don't put anything in their profile or block themselves to make them private. Well, nobody's going to find you and you'll never make connections. And then you say, oh, see, it doesn't work. Uh, um, Lisa, I'm kind of curious on that uh, since you did bring up Twitter. Uh, do you have uh, separate accounts uh, like a, a private and a, a teacher one? Uh, my online persona is education. I don't use Twitter for personal. I mean, I, I, I'll i use it for personal now like Brian and I are friends. So I might personally say something to him as a friend. But I use this for education. I use Skype for education, Twitter for education. I, I use Facebook for education. I don't have personal, a personal online persona. So I don't have separate accounts. Um, I don't go out, you know, go out onto Twitter and say, you know, I'm having a big fight with my husband or we're having salad for dinner or, you know, <laughs> I just don't do things like that. Um, but I'm but guilty I, of that. <laughs> but I am open. I, you know, I'm, I'm public. My name is Lisa Parisi. It's L Parisi on Twitter only because I want it shorter on Twitter because it takes up more characters. Um, but you know, I'm out there everywhere and I'm public because I want to be able to connect with people. Yeah. That's, um, you know, it's those connections. I mean, and I think actually when you would ask Lisa earlier how we ended up getting to know each other, I think there was, Early on, too, we connected on Twitter. I think, in fact, always we, possible. <laughs> I think, well, I think I remember that you asked me on Twitter if a student was in 
my class that you had gotten. Oh, probably. It wasn't, wasn't one of mine, but then we got talking, I think, somehow. We had an interesting conversation last night about what we just were talking about, actually. Um, some of the pressure we're under to, you know, do things a certain way. But um, um, my advice would be to go for it. Um, one of the, my jobs on the side is I, is I work for a company that um, um, does online um, work with teachers on, on pedagogy and um, professional learning practice. And, and that's one of the things that's hardest to get people to do is to just go out there and set up a wiki page. And so, you know, just get it going. And, and even if at first you're not using it in the class, throw a couple of links in there. And the next thing you, you know, you'll, you'll think, oh, wow, I'm doing this unit where, uh, um, oh, we're reading the story in the reader about, you know, going on a steam train and I'll, let me, uh, find some steam train, uh, little video clips and, and I'll put the links to them there and then I can quickly show them in class or even just a couple of photo links or just, you know, whatever. And, and once you do that, things can really kind of start rolling and especially link up with somebody else in your school or whatever and, and just kind of get going. And, um, you had said also, uh, kind of what not to do or kind of a safety, uh, or things one to, word yeah, of warning things to look yeah. out for. Um, oh, um, don't, don't do stuff because it's cool. Do it can be cool, but do it because there's going to be some powerful learning that goes along with it. Um, one of the biggest mistakes that's always happened with technology is they get people get the technology in the school, and at first it's intriguing and 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 everybody loves it just because it's cool. But then there's no pedagogy that goes along with it, and things go south real quick. And so. Um, do things and think through the pedagogical pedagogical parts of it and and make it powerful. That, that's that's uh, you know don't just do it because it's cool. First of all, yeah. nowadays but, people aren't going to let you get away with that. But. All right. Well, that was that was really truly great. I was just I, if it were up to me, I'd just let you two talk back and forth all night long. But uh, 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 we try to keep this podcast uh, to at least an hour, and we're, we're bumping into that already. Uh, so uh, just thank you guys for being with us, and uh, and do uh, uh, Lisa, you're already signed up on our on our website, Brian. I encourage you to do the same because I'm sure that as this uh, show comes out, there will be uh, uh, discussion in the forums and in the in the uh, comments of the blog about that. And, and we would, uh, really like to have you guys, uh, uh participate in that. Uh, you know, cause I, clearly you have a lot of spare time. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, uh, we, uh, we thank you for joining us. And, uh, and if there's nothing else, uh, that, uh, that we forgot, uh, we'll just, uh, uh, say good night and, and, uh, wish you well. Thank right. you very much for having us. Yeah, thank you. Great being here. Thank you both. Wonderful talking with you. You know what strikes me, Mark, about the, about both of these teachers is, uh, we're not talking about, uh, Lisa, the two year fresh out of college and all bright eyed, bushy tailed teacher. We're talking about teachers that are, uh, 25 and 30 years. I mean, 55 collective years in the classroom and, and here they are doing these amazing things. Uh, it just blows the mind. That's true. Absolutely. Um, uh, th those are, uh, those are the kind of teachers that we all want our kids to have. 
the the passion uh, teachers, the the, uh, the the teachers who, uh, like you said, after after three decades in the business, uh, still love what they do and are still passionate about it, and still get mad when bureaucracy prevents them from doing what they love. And uh, the again, I, those are we need more teachers like that out there. And uh, and the fact that they're tightwads just adds to it, right? They're uh, uh, they're doing things on the cheap, and and again. Uh, that's sort of what we've always said in in uh, this show is is uh, if you're spending public money, uh, do it wisely. And these guys not only do it wisely, they do it incredibly effectively. And uh, you know, it's a, a great heartwarming story. And and uh, Lisa Bryan, we're honored to have had you on. It was great. Thank you for for joining us. Absolutely. So uh, that leads us uh, into. Our regularly scheduled tips of the week. And, uh, folks, I'm out. This is literally my last <laughs> tip of the week. I put it down there and I'm done. Teacher um, tips are so much nothing, easier. Right. There's like a billion teacher tips and the tech tips, you know, I've, I've done 20 or so now and I'm done. I'm, I'm gone. I'm out. Uh, so I need you to help me out. I need a forum chat room. I need you guys to bail me out. Uh, but my last one is a good one. I don't want you to think that I'm, uh, uh, going light on you here. Um, it is a Revo uninstaller. Now, uh, if you go to their website, revo uninstaller.com. Uh, you'll see, uh, where they're trying to sell you a, a pro version. Uh, but, uh, uh, what I, uh, use is the free version and it's, it's really good. And, and I found out about this, uh, when I was doing, uh, Skype, um, uh, excuse me, uh, fog snap-ins, uh, when we were, uh, first got in, uh, uh, working with install right. Uh, when you, I, I'm not going to say this ever happens, but theoretically, if you mess up an install, uh, and you mess up the snap in, that would, that would um, be me, Mark. Right. Yeah, uh, there you go. Not Mark. Mark wouldn't right. screw it up. Occasionally when Sean screws up an install, <laughs> right. uh, and you need to, to go back and redo the snap in, um, <clears throat> uh, excuse me. When you, when you need to go back and redo the snap in, most uninstallers don't fully uninstall everything they they do uh, uh sort of a, they try but they don't get all the registry entries and they, they they leave stuff behind they're they're lazy most uninstallers are and if you're doing something like a snap in with fog you got to get all those files out of there because when you when you go to to do it again um it it's not going to work or it's not going to work well so Revo uninstaller, uh, after you, uh, you don't do the regular, uh, uninstall routine. You use Revo uninstaller to install it. And so it goes in there and it, uh, uh, searches all the registry and the searches the files on the hard drive and pulls, uh, all the bad stuff out that, that gets left behind so that you now have a clean, uh, pristine environment with which to reinstall or, or do whatever you need to do. Uh, their free version, it says, uh, you know, is a, a fraction of what the paid version does. I haven't used the paid version uh the free version has always been good enough for me so uh i don't know if there's a uh, if there are any issues with the the paid version that that it can solve but anyway revo uninstaller for you tech types out there uh when you really want to make sure a program is actually removed from your hard drive windows only um and so uh and a free uh tool so check it out and All Sean, right. what have you got for our teachers out there this week? All right. Uh, I've got a good one. I really liked doing this one and researching it. Uh, it is World Factbook. And uh, the link, I'll just say it out real quick. We'll, of course, have a, a link to this in the in the, uh, in the the uh, blog there, uh, the list of show notes. It is www.cia.gov 
slash library slash publications slash the world factbook. So this is actually a part of the CIA's website. Uh, and what the World Factbook is, uh, it's an excellent site for uh, information about all the countries around the world. So this is information that obviously our government wants to, uh, you know, have. and They want to have the latest, uh, uh, you know, uh, data on... Uh, Oh, economics and everything else, you know, whatever, uh, the populations and everything else. And so it's all of this information. And obviously kids are always doing these, um, these reports on the countries of the world and things. And it's a great uh, source for that because it's going to be accurate. Uh, the site is updated every two weeks. So if you want fresh information on the countries of the world, this is where you're going to have to go. Uh, it's going to be fresher than anything else out there. Uh, you know, you want to know, uh, you know, what, uh, whatever, I don't know how many people live in Akrotiri, which is not even a country. It's just a sovereignty, but they do cover sovereignties as well. Uh, you can get that there. Uh, they've also. Right. Cause I've laid awake at night wondering, uh, what the population of Akrotiri yeah, is. I saw that one. I said, and really, I, I guess I was better at geography than I thought world geography because I saw that and I said, Akrotiri, I don't remember ever hearing about that country. And then I looked at it and found out it was a sovereignty. So, uh, so I was, you know, I was right on there. Good for me. Uh, but uh, you get regional maps, flags, uh, you get public domain photos. Let me say that again, public domain photos of these places. So uh, use those photos however you want. Uh, the CIA even has a, a disclaimer on there uh, as far as go ahead and use any of that content however you want. It's in the public domain. Uh, That's because the government of America already paid for it. So they can't charge you for something that you already paid for. Right, right. So, uh, so you've got that. I mean, they just don't want you to, uh, use the CIA as any kind of an endorsement or, uh, uh use their CIA seal in anything, uh, which is understandable. So, uh, they've got a great education piece to their site, uh, K through 12 section. They've got games, which are kind of spooky, really. If you think about it, you go on there and as a kid, you get to practice code breaking and it almost feels like, you know, the CIA is trying to identify young kids that maybe they can recruit someday. Sounds like an episode of Chuck. Right. So I was, I was playing around with some of these games and I was kind of getting freaked out about it. I was like, man, are they like maybe trying to recruit kids or something? Uh, I highly doubt it. I think they're just making it fun and interactive, but, uh, worth checking out teachers you need to know about this one the world Factbook. all right thank you sean that's a good one and uh so that pretty much wraps us up uh this uh episode of uh the tightwad tech and and that just happens to be our website too the tightwadtech.com and sean what can people find if they go to the tightwadtech.com well they can find out all about us they can listen to our shows and get the shows there they can uh find out how to follow us on our many different social streams and you might be able to mention those mark uh that would be twitter.com slash uh the tightwad tech or facebook.com slash the tightwad tech and a new thing i just recently added to the website that I thought was a neat little toy is um, uh, two-way integration uh, between uh, Flickr and Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and LinkedIn, uh, I think. Ping FM, I think Ping was the FM, other one. Right. So um, I have my Twitter feed going to the Tightwad Tech uh, website, and it could go back the other way too. So it's uh, the idea here is is to build a community, right, and, and to to have a place where there is content that is changing constantly uh, that you would want to come to. And so uh, again, this is not a a podcast; it's not a web show. It is a community um, during uh, as a part of which we come to you weekly with an audio uh, podcast. So uh, uh, find us there. Join us. Uh, um, 
Again, Facebook, Twitter, our website, and uh, join in and be part of the conversation because uh, uh, we do this show for you and about you, and um, that's all there is to it. Absolutely. All right, good show. It's late, man. I'm ready to go home. <laughs> all right. And so uh, thank you for joining us this week. And so for now, this is Mark signing off. And Sean signing off. <laughs>